Excuse me. Do you know how fast you were going? Do you know why I pulled you over? Before you enter TripleClick, where we bring the games to you, I'm going to need your license and registration. Could you please verify your gamer tag? Because this one doesn't match up with the one we have on file. Actually, I just, I feel bad for you at this point. Go ahead and listen. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 It's us Hi. again. Welcome back. Welcome back. Do you all think about how my last name and Jason's last name rhyme every single time now? Because I, I yep. do. I do think about yes. it. <laughs> it's a it's a small curse that has been inflicted on me. Yes, yes. Uh, it's like when someone tells you to think about your breathing, and uh-huh. then you're like, "Oh no, no, I have to think about my my breath <laughs> for the next thirty seconds or so." Wait, now I'm thinking about my breathing. If somebody <laughs> mentions an earworm of a song, and um, obviously, uh-huh. of course, if I have a song stuck in my head, I would never ever curse the listener with that because. No. I'm a kind person, and I'm looking oh, out for I the will. listener. Well, <laughs> I got I got the songs from Six stuck in my head. You guys know the musical Six? I do, but I don't no. know the music very well. Oh my god! If you want some earworms, God, it's <laughs> like oh my goodness, it's like quintessential. Pop. There's a music called called Six, and it's not the same as the musical called Nine. That alone is kind of blowing my mind. Six is it's pretty crazy. I haven't seen it, but my wife did, and so she's been playing the music. And my daughter, my three year old daughter, loves it. Um, it's basically it's a about some king, like King Henry VIII or something like that, he had six wives. Oh, got it. And the wives you know, the all famous sing. Anne Boleyn. And it tells you know, yeah. the stories of each of the wives, and each of them has a song, and the songs are all pop songs, and they're written by the creators of the musical, these two brilliant writers and songwriters. Good and they're premise. all they're all incredible and like super catchy and uh, just like amazing pop songs. N- not all of them, I should say. The ones I've heard are. Um, mm-hmm. There might be a few duds in there. Who knows? Yeah, I'm, yeah. But the ones that I've listened to, like uh, uh, there's one called "Don't Lose Your Head" about uh, about. Well, I, I won't say that. That's the, ridiculous. The, That's the a story, complete. But, I, whatever. <laughs> Jason refuses to spoil the story of Henry the Eighth. <laughs> yeah. Who who Just does case, everybody think maybe could be singing the song "Don't Lose Your Head"? <laughs> Quick clue: She was married to Henry the Eighth. Who could it be? Hmm. Um, Who could it be? Hey, some people, I mean, I don't know. You, If you go into Hamilton, you might not want to know that America won the Revolutionary War. Like, you mm-hmm. might not. Spoilers, man. Yeah. That's uh, true. Although at the beginning of Hamilton, they actually spoil that he gets shot. They spoil the end of it. Yeah, they do spoil. Well, there was a milk commercial that spoiled that several several decades earlier. So. Mm. Mm. That's true. The infamous Aaron Burr milk commercial, yes. That is what the musical is based on. It's just a really long version of that. Uh, I just want to let the listeners know that we have a further option for them that they could opt into that would support the show if they're so inclined. They could go to MaximumFun.org slash join and they could become a member of MaxFun, which is our lovely podcast network. And if they were to do that for the low, low price of $5 a month, they would have a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's the most important part, I think. But then also just on top of that, just bonus frosting on the cake, you get a bonus episode from us every month and other Max One shows. Even if even if you don't click the ticky box to support them, too, you still get their bonus apps, which I just think is nice. But you get one from us every month. And this coming month, we're going to do a bonus beans talk. It's not a beans cast this time. We're not spilling the beans about mm-hmm. something. We're not spoiling something. We're going to just do a beans talk together about video games from our childhood. Or I guess it's just mm-hmm. games from our childhood. If one of you wants to talk about D&D, I think that's permitted. Sure. Um, We're each going to talk about the games that like for our formative game experiences growing up. Our formative games. Yeah. I'm thinking elementary school. I don't know if we put an age cap on what childhood is defined as, but that was how I was picturing it. In some ways, we were all still children. So true. (laughs) true. And in some ways, we are not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also true. So true. Uh, Like legally, for example. But spiritually, we're children. Uh, So MaximumFun.org slash join is the URL that you would want to go to if you wanted those bonus eps and fuzzy feelings. But let's get to it, shall we? We are talking about the piece of musical theater (laughs) called (laughs) Papers, Please. Just kidding. It's a video game. Kirk, I believe you have an intro prepared. (laughs) 
I do. I'm excited <laughs> for this. This is a triple play of a game from quite a while ago. Yes. And, uh, and we're going to talk about it. Well, it did just come to mobile phones. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I played it on my mobile phone. Oh, I played okay, cool. the iOS version of it. Brand spanking new, papers please. Well, for anyone who doesn't know it, let me do a little <laughs> preamble here to explain it. Papers, Please, a dystopian document thriller, was first released on PC almost 10 years ago in 2013. It was the first solo game by Lucas Pope, the ex-Naughty Dog designer, who would go on to make Return of the Obra Dinn, among other things, which is a real triple-click fave that we've talked about a lot. A triple-click pick, you might say. A triple-click pick, even. In Papers, Please, players control a nameless border inspector for the fictional totalitarian Eastern Bloc nation of Ars Totska in the fall of 1982 in the height of the Cold War. The game is broken into a series of similar days which play out similarly in real time. Person after person approaches your bunker-like kiosk. They slide their passport and other relevant papers through the slot. You must investigate their paperwork on your desk and give them a green stamp for entry or a red stamp for rejection. You are paid for each person you accurately process and cited and eventually fined for each mistake you make. For example, a person's name on their entry permit might not line up with the name on their passport, or their passport might come from a non-existent region of their nation of residence. As the story progresses, your goals and restrictions will change due to the whims of your leaders and various regional conflicts that often play out within view of your station. One nation may be deemed a terrorist threat, necessitating a dehumanizing full-body scan for all of its citizens. Forged documents may begin to circulate, with just slightly wrong-looking official seals in the corner. And as time goes on, spies, resistance members, and foreign diplomats will all try to bribe and otherwise entice you into helping their cause. At the end of each day, you must choose to spend your extremely limited earnings on basic survival needs like heat, food, and medicine for your family who grow cold, sick, and can die if you fail to provide for them. It's a complex, stressful, and singular game. There really hasn't been anything like it since it came out all those years ago, and we thought it'd just be interesting to play it and talk about it. So that's what we did. So here we are. Papers, please. Let's talk about it. What did you each think uh, getting into this game? So, uh, yeah, this is my first time playing it, actually. I did not play it when it came out. Um, I did play and love, 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 love Return of the Oberdin. So it was fun revisiting Paper, or visiting Paper, please, for the first time and seeing kind of like the bones for some of the things, some of the mechanics and ideas Mm -hmm. and music uh, that would then go on to be in Oberdin. Music Um, composed by Lucas Pope, we should say. Really great music. Uh, Did it all. Music, and programming, just, writing, etc. The UI, like it's, there's a lot of interesting, interesting. Even a lot of the the graphics of the characters um, wind up being pretty similar in Obra Dinn, um, which all makes sense. This feels very much like Kirk. I really enjoyed your use of the word singular because this is a very singular experience. It's something unlike any other game, even though it borrows a lot from other games. It certainly is a simulator, for example. It is a puzzle game in some ways. You are looking at things and comparing them and matching matching pictures against one another to see what is different and that's a common a common mechanic among games and puzzles and kind of magazine uh, activities um, but uh, there's really nothing else like it in that it combines the kind of that puzzle aspect of it with the morality and the moral questions of that you have to kind of make to yourself and it leads you down some interesting roads where like mechanically you're like you know I know that it doesn't really matter if I let this uh, the one that always stood out to, that stood out to me um, in my playthrough was the husband who came in and his documents were all fine mm-hmm. and then his wife comes behind him and is like please let me in and she clearly does not have the right documents so if you let her in you will get a citation you will get punished um if you don't let her in then you did your job correctly and you're kind of faced with that moral dilemma but as far as i know the game doesn't actually like reckon with that uh as far as uh, giving you any consequences one way or another other than the citation uh getting the citation or not so at the end of the day you just have to kind of live with your decision and you're like well i let this fictional wife go or let this fictional husband go without his wife and screwed over like split up this family so yeah lots of interesting questions and I just really enjoyed it, even though my ending was flat out bullshit. <laughs> but we can get into that a little bit later. That's life in, in Ars Tatska, I think. Maddie, what did you think? Uh, did you play it originally? And is, or are I you did. playing it for the first time? I don't know that I ever 
beat it. I think I played it a few times, which is not a weird way to play this game for what it's worth. I think you get the gist after a few days. And if you don't want to play an entire month of it, I can't really blame you because it is grueling. Like you really are doing the job. It's a simulator, but I don't know. Can we call it a simulator when you really are? Comparing right. every single document that comes across your desk, or is that just a recreation digitally, virtually? Uh, and it's grueling, but I remembered it at the time and played it at the time because in 2013, it was a really big deal. It was like games critic catnip is what I call this kind of game. It's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a thinker. It's got a lot going on beneath the surface. It seems very simple at first, but there's and basically, I, I almost called it environmental storytelling, but that's not quite the kind of storytelling that there is here because it's not the environment. It's like just extraneous dialogue that people say to you as they're waiting at the desk for you to finish checking them in. And then also some of it is just the few images that you happen to see. Like if people give you posters or flyers or things like that, but it's all so limited that it's kind of amazing that there's a story at all. And there are, I think, 20 endings. There's there's several different kinds of endings you can get, different ways you can get fired. You can also die. Um, so yeah, I ended up playing it for six hours. I got one of the endings that happens close to the end of the month. I, I think I almost made it to the very last day, but the ending I chose is an option that pops up like a couple days before the final it's like your final performance review that you get on December 31st or whatever the final day is. <laughs> uh, I didn't make it to that. But yeah, I, I I played for six hours, really enjoyed it. But I also was like, this is very tedious. And I think if it came out now, it maybe wouldn't have quite the same effect that it did in 2013 when people were so surprised and delighted by the idea of a game having this type of storytelling. And I was too. I was very impressed by it. And I still am. I think it's a formative game that it's inspired a lot of other games since then. Yeah, it's interesting that it's inspired other game developers, I'm sure, just because it's an inspiring kind of creative success, even though I haven't really played that many games like it. There was kind of, I was looking back over what people were saying about this game when it came out, and there were some games around this era, like Cart Life, do you remember that game? Richard Hoffmeyer's game, which was a very, it's very different in a lot of ways, but another sort of job, like that, I think people called it an empathy generator. It's Mm -hmm. sort of about generating empathy with normal people. And this kind of, so this had some things in common with games of the era. But then again, playing it now, to me, it feels like a game out of time. It works just as well now as it did then, and it feels just as different now as it did then. I There's a lot of different things I think we could talk about. Something you said, Jason, about the morality of this game. I think maybe we can start there, because this game's morality is really interesting. To me, very successful, I think because... It's so ambiguous. It withholds information and doesn't tell you when you're being judged and when you're not. And you can have things happen like, Jason, so you're ending, um, which I remember. I don't think I got it. The first time I played this game, I guess I should say, I played a lot of it. Um, I think I got the ending that you got also, uh, Maddie, where you like forge documents and get out of the country. I do. Yeah, that's what I did. When you play this game, you can go back to any day that you played and do it again, and it forms this kind of tree, so you don't have to go back to the beginning each time you fail. So you can spend a lot of time, which I did again this time playing it, like kind of fine-tuning and like getting the day right. Some of the stuff is procedurally generated, but some events happen every single time on a certain day. So once you know what to do, you can start to kind of game it a little bit more and see all the outcomes. So the thing that happened to you, Jason, is where your son gives you, is it your son? He gives you art mm-hmm. that you can hang up, mm-hmm. and then you can just get arrested for it, like on the second well, to last okay, day. Well, okay, so so the story here is that um, there's this inspector who comes by your booth every so often to to check on you and is essentially your boss. Um, And he comes in and if you have something illicit hanging on your wall, which could be this painting from your son, it could be this banner, this sports banner that you get from one of the dudes who tries to get in. Um, Anything like that that you have hanging on your wall. um, The first time he comes in, if he sees it, he's like, you shouldn't have this here. I'm going to give you a penalty for this. And then what he doesn't tell you is that if he comes back and sees it again, he will immediately fire you and you will get a bad ending. So that is what happened to me. <laughs> right. So it's kind of the um, 
I think that it really accurately captures the unfair whims of this kind of totalitarian regime in a way that feels unfair sometimes and kind of unknowable. And I really liked that, especially playing it this time. It had been long enough that I really kind of just forgot how to play it and got just, just some of the really basic bad endings first. And that example that you cited, which I think is the first time when the game really makes it clear to you that you have some choice in what you're doing, which is when the husband shows up and says, my wife is right after me, please let her through. And then she shows up and she doesn't have her papers. And I at least found myself doing that little mental calculation of, well, I haven't gotten any citations today. I know I get two for free. Mm -hmm. This woman needs to be with her husband, so I'm just going to let her through. And that is like the tiny, the kind of tiny act of goodness that you can absolutely imagine some sort of functionary in this position in this kind of situation doing or not doing and not really knowing whether it's going to you know, cause him to be arrested or killed or something, or maybe just no one will even notice. And I, I really like that ambiguity in the game's morality throughout because it doesn't just gamify it. It doesn't just give you rewards or punishments for things that you do. Sometimes you just do things and you never really know you know, what the outcome is going to be. Uh-huh. Like, do, do you decide to go with this, like, mysterious, shady order that keeps trying to get you, <laughs> give you tasks, and, like, gives you gives you notes that you then have to return to them? Um, I want to address something you said, Maddie, before about it feeling grueling for you. And for some reason, even though often games like this do feel grueling for me, uh, this did not. And I think there were, I, and I don't know why, I think I found some, some sort of satisfaction in doing it, like the way that, so what I did was was I, I followed kind of a similar rhythm every single time where I was like, okay, vaccine first, mm-hmm. then your entry permit, et cetera, et cetera. Then look to check the matching, make sure the city is matching, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Which I is did sort the of the same thing. But it meant mm-hmm. that I would get so much more annoyed if I skipped something by accident. Right. Yeah. That yeah. would be the thing. Well, the that sound got of me. like when yeah. you get notified yeah, that, that you got that, fined, that, I yes, get so upset. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pavlovian response to that. Yeah. So but but I think that like doing it that way, I don't know. I took a certain sort of satisfaction in, in finding those discrepancies or not finding them, and yeah, I don't know. I, I I kind of enjoyed that aspect of the game, and I was doing. I think when I was at my most efficient, I was doing like ten to twelve of them a day, and uh, it wasn't. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I, gotta, I ever was. I feel like you are the answer to my question, which was: there's an endless mode. Who is playing the endless mode? No, it's, I'm not it's, playing the endless. <laughs> People like no. you, I well, think. So, okay. So. so one of the things that drove me to keep playing was I actually wanted to see how the order story would end, yeah. which is one of the reasons that I like rage quit in frustration when I got an ending <laughs> that didn't let me see it. And yes, I could have mm-hmm. gotten back to the day before that, but I was just kind of like, no, I'm done. This is this feels like a fitting ending Wait, point Kind of a good game. way to end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Just bureaucracy, just ending my playthrough so I never actually get to see what happens. I don't know that it's satisfying, though. It, to that ending. I don't know that any of the endings are ever fully satisfying. Yeah, They're all kind of sure really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Like even if you escape, you I don't yeah. think can you ever take your whole family with you? Like you I just couldn't kind of afford have to, flee. to. I mean, I think maybe yeah. if I had really min maxed it, I could have afforded to take everybody with me. But the problem was that a lot of times I didn't want to do the unethical thing. I really mm-hmm. didn't like having to detain people for extra money, for example there's this plot line where there's another guy who <laughs> gets... He's a guard. Yeah, he's a guard, and he gets a bonus every time you detain mm-hmm. someone, and he's like, I get the bonus, you don't, but I'll share it with you if you detain more people. And he will keep coming over to you and being like, come on, man, detain more people. We need the money. And I'm like, I know, but this sucks, and I don't want to do yeah. this. And that, I, I agree, Kirk, is one of the most effective parts of the game is that you are being punished in the sense that you're deciding every moment what you think will make you enough income to do well for you and your family. But I always care too much about video game characters and I worry about them when I'm playing a game and I'm like, but I don't, I don't want the digital people to suffer and I just want them to be okay. Perhaps the worst example of this is the search mechanism that you were describing. Like the fact that the only way to find out if somebody's gender matches their passport is to force them to take naked photos like that. I was Mm -hmm. like, I did not remember this being a part of the game in 2013. But damn, Lucas Pope was really out here being like, maybe we shouldn't treat trans people like criminals. Like insofar Mm -hmm. as I think the game is saying anything, I think that's 
at least one of the things that, that this game is saying that I thought was pretty prescient for its time. You know? Yeah, I found it really frustrating. I kept getting penalized for not, yeah. not recognizing the gender discrepancy because I would either yeah, not pay I would, attention I would just let them through. to the gender or just like you're supposed to like uh, act on stereotypes or act on physical appearance in a way that is like, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. And I saw this this conversation come up a lot in Return to the Oberdin, which asks you to make racial stereotypes with some of the characters, or at least like assume that like this person looks like he's from East like East Asia as opposed to from mm-hmm. Europe, or he probably has an Eastern Asian name as opposed to a European name. Um, and so this does the same with gender, where it's like, yes, it's making that point, but it's also putting you, the player, in this position where you have to discriminate based on gender, which is an interesting, certainly or- thought-provoking take a penalty if you choose not to which right right, right. that's yeah. what, but that's my point is that it's saying that to do the right thing to optimize your progress in this game you have to do that mm-hmm. i like that though because it's a way for the game to point out that sometimes the rules are immoral and i mean it, yeah, that is definitely. the whole game is like sometimes the rules are immoral the video game mm-hmm. but hey it works you know <laughs> it does yeah no, I mean, it, you are so constantly dehumanizing the people who you're analyzing in sometimes little ways, just like you look at them naked on a scanner before letting them through, and sometimes in, in more overt and clearly cruel ways. And it's just that it's that bureaucratic cruelness. I think it captures that so well. And that gets to the endless mode and how this game is pleasurable to play. I found it that way. I was playing on an iPad, which I never had done, and the iPad version is really good because it's really well designed and you kind of drag everything around with your fingers and, mm-hmm. you know, it has that nice tactile feeling. The sound effects are really good. The sounds of just papers moving around. The little voices. I want to shout out also, oh. the, your guy always just goes bam, bam, and like makes that one <laughs> voice and then they always make the other sound. Yeah. I'll probably play them play them here in the show just so people can be Pavlovianly triggered when they hear them. I But that stuff is all so well done and it gets you into this groove where if you just follow the incentives that are in place, you become basically like this cruel, corrupt person Mm -hmm. who is, you know, just like a small cog in a pretty evil machine. And that, I think, is something that games... Are, are really good at and don't actually do that often. It reminded me actually of Sadie Green's game from Tomorrow and Tomorrow and exactly Tomorrow. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking. Yep, yep. It's, it makes it's that it, same feeling. There is a quote-unquote good ending where you can just be a good cop for Arstotska and you just do yep. everything right and you try to get a 10 out of 10 in your cop job and... That's it. That's that's the ending. What's funny is that I'm pretty sure about this, that that initially was the only way to unlock endless mode. So basically, you <laughs> had to play the game like you loved playing it and that really get good at it. And then, sense, it and then it rewards you. I'd be like, OK, you can do it you forever. Do it for, for the rest of your <laughs> life if you want. That's funny. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's also funny that like the game, even though you're meant to care about your wife and son and mother in law and stuff, they only show up as just literally the word wife and son. mother. You don't yeah. see their yeah, pictures. they're just obligations for you. Like yeah. and you never talk to them. But, like you're spending so, so much more time at work, which I think is also you're working long it, hours. You literally never see your family. Is how I took it. So what's funny about that is that you're asked to care about them, even though there's just these names. Whereas the people who are coming to you, you actually see their faces and learn things about them you see their names you learn where they're how old they are where they're from and uh you wind up i think any normal person playing this or or most people playing this i imagine would uh wind up caring more about the people whose like faces and details they're learning than like the one single line that says mother uh at the end of each day (laughs) and that's a funny that's another funny intersection i think between like the world the storytelling and the systems because if you lose your whole family, I forgot about this and my family got sick and I was doing really bad when I first started. And if they all die, then you just get taken out of your job. You lose your job and you're replaced because, you know, like we can't have people who don't have families working for us. <laughs> right. It's basically right. Right. So it's a fail state. Uh-huh. So they are you do have to keep those scores going somewhat. You have to keep them kind of healthy and, you know, keep uh, up warm and, and fed. Right. And that's it winds up being this kind of mercenary thing. And then, like you say, yeah, you, you're seeing these people, especially Recurring characters. What's the one guy's name? Georgie Costava. Oh, the one with the forged documents. Who has 
was a whole storyline, and I love him. Like <laughs> so with the bad. best is his fake his fake passport with it's called like monkey Sanders. I can't remember it's what it's ridiculous. called. He, like, it's his very first one where it's like the crayon passport. Or, like comic Sans. Yeah. It's like does not need entry permit. He writes on it. Does not <laughs> right, need right. Permit. And he's so he's so good natured about it. You yeah. keep denying him, and he says, "Oh well, I get it. Got to be yeah. serious. Okay, I'll yeah. that next time." Okay. So okay, he's friends. the one who clues you into the ending that I took, which is where yes. you you emigrate to. Oberstan, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And I took his passport as my passport. And he's like very good natured. Like at first he's like, hey, you're taking my passport. And I'm like, yeah, you told me that I needed a really good passport <laughs> to start with so that I can create a forgery. I'm going to take yours. And he's kind of like, yeah, fair, fair point. All right. I guess I'm going to have Wait. to go get another one. <laughs> it's like wild. That's interesting that you did that. Because if you don't do that, he'll just say, take my passport. And he'll oh, let you interesting. do it. Oh, anyway. That's funny. Yeah, because um, I took it without asking or waiting. Yeah, I just he just took gives it, it to you. <laughs> That's hilarious. And you pretty much have to come. I was like, it. I'm desperate, and I know he has access to other passports, so I'm not worried about him. But then I took, I think, one other passport from somebody for my son. Yeah. And then I was like, I can't keep taking people's passports. I'm so stressed out. And also, by the way, if you do that ending, I think that might be the only way you get to see a picture of your entire family. Or did you guys get mm. to see that picture? I don't know. That's right. I, I did not. I think Is I that got that end? ending yeah. 10 years ago or whatever. That sounds <laughs> Well, I just think it's interesting in light of Jason's point, though, about how dehumanized the family is. If you choose them in the end and, quote unquote, try mm-hmm. to save them and go to another country, which it's kind of dubious as to whether that's going to be a better life for you or not. Right. But if you do that, then you do get to see a photo of them at the very end. Uh, as a reward? Question mark. <laughs> like some of the people in this photo are. It's like how not... you get to see the Samus bikini photo at the yeah, end of. Yeah, it's Metroid. exactly <laughs> the same. It is kind of. <laughs> it is kind of similar, actually. <laughs> yeah, you finally get to see your hot wife right before you doom her, doom her to a life in Arstotska without you, because you're only you can only afford to take your Obviously, son. different in some ways too. So. I'm going to look this up later because I really want to know how the EZIC, EZIC uh, order ending played out because that's what I was going for. And I followed their orders, except when they told me to snipe the guy in red. Yes. I knew that would just lead to a game over regardless. And also the woman, uh, I don't know how if you guys like followed the whole story, but like there's a woman earlier on who is like, I, I don't think the man in red is really a threat. And she kind of hints mm-hmm. that you don't have to do anything to him. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's a really interesting story. You have to poison somebody. Like you literally murder yeah. someone who you wind up doing a lot of, your booth. A lot yeah, of I stuff poisoned that did. guy. I did yep. a lot of the Isaac plot line just because I was interested, but also against the country. So I was like, I guess this is my only way to be a rebel in this scenario. But I yeah. also was trying to earn money at my cop job, so I was I was a morally gray, complex character. <laughs> I love it when they give you Isa gives you like a thousand credits, and then, uh, and then, and then later the government like, takes it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you get reported by your neighbors, right? Yeah, you get reported by your neighbors. And then what? It's a whole thing. That's another man. So one thing this game does so well, I think, is that because it's so simple and it all takes place at this desk, it has all these different endings and these different branches, like we're talking about. There's so many. I was looking through them there are a lot that i'd never seen or didn't know about and they're they're amazing it's amazing that that's possible because in so many of the kinds of games that we play there may be some endings but it's not you know most games that are designed to be really elaborate and take place in big you know open worlds or whatever like you can't it's just a lot harder to write that many different kinds right. of endings. Most of the time it'll be like a slideshow at the end and one slide will be a little different if you made decisions. Right, right. The, mm. right, the Witcher 3 thing where it, it gives you the a little... The Sweet Coden 2. Uh-huh. Well, I was thinking like <laughs> Mass Effect style or whatever. Yeah. Like the Dragon, the Bioware RPG style. Mm. Right, we're here because it's, you know, it's just a different kind of game and it's all structured in this one very tight space. They can do all these little things where you can, you know, they can give you a bad ending just for hanging up your kid's picture, which makes a really fun narrative point and provides, I mean, fun, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. enjoyable, a kind of clever, uh, <laughs> if dark point that then you can just re- easily rewind and just go do again and fix. And um, that's, it's true across the board for all this kind of stuff. Like, they're... When you get the money, I love that. When, because I really struggle. I mean, I think you're you just have to struggle with money in this game, mm-hmm. and it's such a like powerful and obvious but but powerful point about just the role that poverty plays in 
pushing people into this kind of a in this kind of a situation and into you know, enforcing unjust laws and, and doing bad things. And then the moment when you suddenly have a thousand credits and you know it's too good to be true and you can burn it, you can choose to burn it or you can just take it. And it's kind of right. It's like day 11 or 12. It's somewhere around there. It's right where you're feeling the heat or the lack mm-hmm. of heat, I guess. Your family is feeling the cold um, <laughs> because you can't afford to heat your yeah, home. I looked it up and apparently if you burn it, they give you 2,000 credits the second day. So they like double down and right. give you like a double temptation. And I think you have right. to probably burn it twice in a row if you want the good they cop do. ending. I don't know. I wasn't, obviously wasn't dragged for that. I took the 1K right mm-hmm. out. I was like, all right. Maybe these easy guys have a point. Well, I'm desperate and I need to, you know, I need medicine for my family or they're going to die. The game just told me that. So you're kind of pushed into this and then you go through this whole thing where because you've been caught and you're being investigated, there's then this whole storyline that plays out where you have to let through people that Isaac have, you know, told you to let through. Because if you do, I think if you let at least one of them through, they can get the investigation stopped. But if you stop them both, then the investigation carries on and you lose the game. So it's another situation where you just wind up through these small decisions trapped in one storyline or another storyline because Uh that's how things work. That's how this kind of stuff works when the stakes are so high. You are constantly making decisions like that. It's really amazing how how many of these decisions there are how and just it has a really beguiling feeling where you never quite know what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's like when you make one small gamble with the mob and suddenly you're selling them your house <laughs> and business. Um, did you guys think at all about uh, while you were playing about uh, how this is set in Soviet Russia and we're playing it while Russia is bombing it Ukraine? It certainly was on my mind because I've been obsessively reading about this war every day and now I'm playing this game that's set in basically Soviet Russia. So yes, it was certainly on my mind. <laughs> it's also purposefully not set in actual Soviet Russia and Lucas Pope has said that. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting to look at that, uh, to to look at this exploration of, quote unquote, Soviet Russia or Aristoska and how how things could have worked in this theoretical, like Eastern European, um, heavily bureaucratic, bureaucratic, just like, uh, uh, I guess, communist country or certainly uh, uh, ruled by... uh, Politburo style, like government officials and bureaucracy, um, and thinking about how uh, sort of different and also not different things might be today. I don't know. It got me thinking a lot, certainly, yeah, especially you know, with like the newspaper headlines there, and then suddenly the random diktats you'd get. Like today, we yeah. are banning everyone from the United Federation, so you must reject everybody from the United Federation mm-hmm. or whatever else it was. Or like today, you must confiscate all the passports from people in this district. Like that sort of thing got me thinking about like, oh yes, that is totally what Russia might do today. Well, and it also got me thinking about immigration in America. I mean, since I played this game, I've thought a lot more and learned a lot more about how American immigration works, which is its own whole can of worms and is also it's a often mess. a very dehumanizing, um, bad... Yeah, talk about separating families. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, And so it, um, it kind of underlines the way that immigration dehumanizes people in general, like that the fact of immigration, this the whole way that a, a national body has to consider people is not as people at all. It's as a series of, you know, categories, basically, which is what this game is doing. And what any immigration official is, you know, doing just according to the laws of their country, just by putting you in the shoes of someone who has to enforce those laws, and making you enforce or not enforce them, it really, I mean, it's a learning game in a sort of way, like it it really puts you in, uh, in that place, I think, in a way that even, you know, a great article that recent amazing um, super tragic Atlantic article. Did either of you read that about the childhood separation policy of the Trump administration? Reading something like that does give you a lot of insight into how something like that happens. But a game like this does give a spe- like a specific and unique understanding for just the day to day actions of someone in that position. I think in a way that nothing else really can. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also a whole part with a pandemic in the game that Mm -hmm. I found very weird to play because by the time I got to that, I was like, damn, Maddie, you got to question your morals now. You're you're okay with people checking vax cards and you don't think that's a police state thing. But this is a game from 2013 where that is positioned along with all these other police state elements. 
and maybe the world is complicated and you have to think about times when paperwork and regulations are necessary in order for people to be safe. And <laughs> Personally, I got a lot of satisfaction out of rejecting people who are like, I don't believe in vaccines. I was like, goodbye. Yeah. I'm going to detain you. <laughs> yeah. And so, even yeah. the people who were like, I just don't have a vaccine yet. I was like, I have to reject you because you might be sick and the person who was like i'm perfectly healthy i was like i have no idea if that's true and i don't know how mm -hmm. i would have felt about those lines in 2013 probably pretty different to be honest but now i'm like sorry you gotta go <laughs> i trust no one anymore uh, when it comes yeah to this. get your freaking polio <laughs> shot well the funny thing is they're and talking about polio back. and now polio is back because, <laughs> because of people who didn't get their vaccines i yeah. know it was wild but it was also polio which yeah ugh. very relevant yeah i it's just it's interesting to play a game that's set in essentially the real world and while it is set in 1982 is about things that are just real world things and there's nothing really fantastical except for the fact that so much of this country's you know so much espionage and so much happens at this one border station but okay but you can kind of suspend your disbelief and compared with so many games that i play including return of the oberdin even i mean it's it's remarkable to play something so grounded that still manages to be so engrossing. This game sold well too. I'm I'm honestly kind of surprised that there aren't more games like it. I guess it would be a I guess it's a pretty big risk to make a game like this unless you're working by yourself and just making something because you want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's also, uh, I, and I think so much credit belongs to Lucas Pope, the designer, because it's also extremely difficult to make the act of looking at papers fun, and yet somehow he does in the same way that he made the act of like look, going around a ship and just like examining people's mm -hmm. deaths, like uh, being, what is it, a claims adjuster? Like he, he manages, I think, to do what a lot of designers would not be able to do, which is just make these ridiculous concepts into actually fun, satisfying experiences that sustain themselves over the long haul. And I think that's really, really impressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the other part of it that people would be too tempted to do now is insert more voice into the game. And it's pretty yeah. astounding the extent to which the game doesn't take a side. And I mean, I'm even reading into it by saying, I think this game is saying that sometimes rules are unfair and you should question them. But the fact that you can just play the game completely uncritically, I, I don't know if I think that's a bad thing because I think that's just part of how this game works and the game is actually refusing to take that stance and is instead encouraging the player to investigate the world as presented and draw their own conclusion. But of course, the world itself is constructed to have conclusions in mind. So I don't know, but it's, it's, not, it's not constantly uh, just shouting at you to do the right thing in the way that... It's not moralizing is basically what I'm trying to say. No, and I'd say that that's essential to how it finds meaning because you have to be the one to make the choice. And in order for it to be a choice, you have to be choosing between two things. Like it does have to be a viable option to just be a great tool of the state yeah. who enforces the laws because, yeah, you can choose to do that or you can totally choose not to do that. And the only way the choice matters is if you give players both options. And, yeah, the game does a very good job of – just showing you things. And I mean, it seems clear as a human being when you see a husband being separated from his wife, most people would probably feel bad about that. But you could talk yourself into some. Yeah, and just being you know, like, this some, is the you law. could rationalize it yeah, in some way. Of course. And it's important, I think, that you're able to do that um, throughout the game. So I've seen criticism of other games in the past for presenting you with like uh, heinous moral options and then not giving you consequences for those actions. In fact, I think one of the most popular games of all time is often criticized for that in GTA 5 in that you can run around killing civilians and then escape the cops and there are no consequences for your actions. So it's interesting that a game like this, maybe it all comes down to themes or execution or something else. I don't know, but I'm curious as to maybe those same critics who criticize GTA for that reason would also criticize this for a reason and would say, like, actually, no, a game shouldn't allow you to do amoral things without shoving it, like, without punishing you for it in some way. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I think the difference is that GTA doesn't also include a plot line where being a good citizen is also really fascinating and like has its own gameplay arc. Like, mm -hmm. I would say that the good cop version of this game. 
I don't, I didn't play it uh, that way, obviously, but it's certainly a way to engage with the game that some people might find entertaining. And then also the Ezek plotline is interesting. Even if you are choosing to reject it every single time, that's always a part of your story. And having to balance your budget, like those things are part of the game, no matter what the moral choices are that you make. And your story is equally compelling either way. So GTA isn't, I don't think, an apt comparison because it's a game where it's actually the most fun to be a criminal and there isn't really any other way to engage with it that makes any sense. I mean, following traffic patterns in GTA and trying to play it honestly is a, like a hilarious bit that streamers do. And I always love it when people do that, but like, it's not what you're supposed to do in that game. <laughs> yeah, there's a significant narr- like structural narrative difference between GTA and Papers, Please, because Papers, Please is in- entirely structured around the choices in the narrative that you're playing through, where Grand Theft Auto pretty much has a delineation between just running around the open world and doing whatever and the story that they're telling. And then there's a lot of dissonance and whatever between those two things as well. True. But it's it's two very different experiences. And the experience of playing as Franklin and Trevor or whatever through that story, that's one thing. And you kind of, like, the game draws a line between that and then what happens in the open world because it's not giving you consequences to anything that you do in the open world because, you know, that would be less fun or they've, they've decided that that's not the kind of game they want to make. So the comparison, you know, it's, it's a, it's, they're pretty different, I'd say, narr- in terms of narrative structure just because of that. Sure. Also, I was thinking about uh, the Dying Light game that we all played, which is also a game where you can choose to either be yeah. a good cop or like a badass revolutionary. And in either way, you have to kind of hang out with some assholes that you might not like very much. I think there's also <laughs> a third option in that game that, I, as I recall, none of us really tried. But those were the two main threads in that game. Uh, and they're both kind of bad and kind of good options in different ways. But I feel like the other problem with that game is that I remember not thinking either narrative option was that interesting or really had that much to say about the choice you were making. And also power is really flat in that game. Like both options will make you just as leveled up, just as powered up, just as awesome of a dying light parkour guy either way. And that equivalency of both sides is something that really irritates me in video games and doesn't happen in Papers, Please. Like, yes, Isaac exists. They give you a thousand credits right out of the gate, but they're not powerful. They're not your employers. They can't give you citations at the end of every job that you do wrong. They are not like the Arstotzka establishment. That is very much the like terrifying bureaucratic machine that is in power for the entire video game and that is clear throughout and Isaac is just like this little weird terrorist organization that is like I wouldn't say succeeding like it's not it's it's not a both sidesism I wouldn't say it's instead presented as realistically as possible in the sense that you are both pressured to take the $1000 from them and pressured to enlist in their organization in just the same way that you're pressured to keep being a good cop so that you can get money the good quote unquote good way but it's also different because getting money from Isaac isn't exactly that viable of an option. Yeah, the, there's a big difference between the two games that's really interesting and really important, and it's that Dying Light or a game like that feels like it needs to be fair mm. when they're making it. There has to be some fairness in you know how you get rewarded for the choices you make, and that's partly because of the time frame. Like in Dying Light, you commit to one side. I think they've maybe changed this now, but when we played it, you commit to one side and you have to keep going to unlock the really good stuff on that side, so you're super committed. And so then you're like so far in that you can't even go see what it's like to commit to the other side, where the timing in Papers, Please is you can die and then just go back a day and then try it again. Like it's designed to be kind of broken apart in that way, so it doesn't need to be fair in the same way where it's like, well, whatever you commit to, it needs to be equally good because you're putting 20 hours into this, so it better not feel like you picked wrong and you didn't get to do anything fun, where mm-hmm. if you picked the other way you did. It's so much shorter time frame that the game can just be unfair in a way that makes it way more interesting and allows for just a ton of variable outcomes because it doesn't have to be balanced. I think that's like a really interesting and important difference. Mm-hmm. Plus, our Satsuka's unfair. It's unfair to live there. <laughs> it is. It just... <laughs> Does that seem like a pleasant a pleasant place to live? I would not. No, that is underlined. Is it is not a fair place to live? Yeah, that's why I moved away. But I mean, for such an unfair place, a lot of people want to emigrate there. Or I know. Or (laughs) only imagine what it's like in all those neighboring countries. It can't be great. 
I don't know. A lot of people want to come to the United States, and we do things unfairly all the time. So that's a good there point. There you go. That's that is, true. That is a good point. Well, this is really an interesting game. I'm so glad that that we played it. I was really happy to play it again, and it was fun to talk about it. So that's papers, please. Let's take a break, and we'll be back for one more thing. What happens when you give a bug recreational drugs? What was the first recorded sound? How do we figure out how old the Earth is? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah, 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 blah. Mm, Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. And we get to say f***. <laughs> Maybe not in the trailer. Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. Are you ready to binge watch something old? The Greatest Generation is a podcast about Star Trek by a couple of hosts a little bit embarrassed to even have a Star Trek podcast. Hosted by me, Ben Harrison. And me, Adam Pranica. We get into the critical, the technical, the science fictional aspects of the show we love while roasting it and each other at the same time. We've completed an entire series about Star Trek The Next Generation and another one about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and we've just begun Star Trek Voyager. So now is a great time to start watching a new Star Trek series with us. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts and become a friend of DeSoto today. And we're back for one more thing. Maddie, why don't you go first? What's your one more thing? Sure. Mine is a movie called Not Okay. I watched it on Hulu. I don't think it's in theaters. Uh, Have either of you seen this? No, I know about it, but I haven't seen it. Great. So the premise is that there is a young woman, 20-something woman, played by Zoe Deutsch, and she is a very unlikable character. And I will explain why. (laughs) She is on Instagram. She's on social media. But she's not very popular and she's not very cool or fun to be around. And so she decides to invent a writing seminar in France that doesn't exist. But she creates a fake website, kind of slapdash style, and then says she's going to it and takes a bunch of pictures that make it look like she's in France. This is a set set in the modern day, by the way, 2022 movie set in the modern day. And then there is, in the setting of the movie, a terrorist attack in France at the Arc de Triomphe, which is where she had just posted a fake photo of herself. And so then she fully commits to the bit for the rest of the movie, pretends that she was there and survived this attack, saw the terrorist before he attacked herself, oh is totally traumatized by it, writes a like memoir. sounds like a Kirby Enthusiasm episode. It, except the, the female character at the center of this story is so much more irritating and terrible as a person that it's very interesting to watch an entire movie about her because almost every other character in the movie is actually quite likable. And I thought that was an interesting writing exercise. I don't know that I liked the movie, but I'm really glad I saw it because it was, again, it felt like a fun writing exercise. And I also really liked this um, quote from the writer-director Quinn Shepard about making the movie. So she wrote it, and when they first screened it to audiences... People were apparently like really alarmed and were like, why is this whole movie about this character? Why have you done this to us? And so she created a jokey content warning that plays at the beginning of the movie. And this is what it says. Content warning. This film contains flashing lights, themes of trauma and an unlikable female protagonist. Viewer discretion advised. (laughs) And so I saw that content warning and I started laughing. And Dina, like, hadn't seen it yet because she was still walking in and was like, what are you laughing at? And I was like, oh, you know, it's funny content warning. says has an unlikable female protagonist. And we kind of laughed at it. And then, honestly, I think it helped me enjoy the movie more. And that is apparently, yeah. according to Quinn Shepard, precisely what audiences told her after mm-hmm. she added this one sentence to her movie before it plays in screenings, people were like, oh, I get it. This whole movie's about someone we're supposed to fucking hate. So you just kind of enjoy it from like a weird hate watch perspective where you're like, 
This person isn't redeemable. They're not going to be redeemed. They're not going to get a redemption arc. That's it. You just hate them and you can feel free to hate them and you can like everyone else. It's really weird. Though. I feel like that's so that's so smart because you're always looking for whenever you watch a movie yeah. or anything, you're always looking for like, okay, what can I like? What's going to resonate with me about this character? How can I attach to them? And so to be freed like that is yeah, that's it's kind cool. of incredible. But it feels so weird to watch something like that. And I, I also even thinking back on it, I'm like, should she have been more successful at the beginning so that watching her takedown would feel better? But like, that's not really what the movie's about. It's not like delight in her takedown. It's just like, this is a regular annoying person. <laughs> it's nice. weird. I don't know. So I guess I recommend it, but it's very weird to watch. Not just, okay. So you're saying it's okay. Yeah. I, I would say that okay. not okay is okay. It's okay. Nice. Um, Jason, what's your one more thing? All right. Well, as you guys might know, uh, much to my wife's dismay, the NFL is back, which (laughs) means the return of my NFL stories, which I'm not going to do every week, but once in a while when there's some incredible tale from the world football to tell, um, I will bring up an NFL story. So this week I want to talk about long snappers. One of the things that I like love about football is that so much of it is invisible and yet essential because every team has 53 people. Um, and that's a lot of people uh, compared to basketball where it's 15 people on a team and you're only really seeing eight or nine of them on a given night. Um, 53 people. Uh, and everyone pays attention to the star quarterback or like the fast wide receivers. You guys know who Tom Brady is. You guys might know who like Pat Mahomes is. But it's often the guys in the trenches who are like winning or losing games there are blockers up front there are quietly effective cornerbacks in the in the backfield and of course there are long snappers so in case you guys are you guys familiar with a long snapper do you guys know what a long snapper is i mean i can pretty do much you do guess a long means, snap so. you do Perhaps? a long snap yeah the long snapper <laughs> is probably the most underappreciated <laughs> member of an nfl roster the long snapper has one job to snap the football to throw the football back really far and he only comes on during punts kickoffs and extra points essentially whenever there's a kick in the game you get a long snapper and i guarantee you that 99 percent of nfl fans could not name a single long snapper i can't even tell you who the long snapper is on my favorite team the jets and i know they're freaking like seventh round picks they made last year or something like i have no idea who the long snapper is like when i think about what it would take to do that as well as you would need to do yeah. it in the NFL. It seems like an amazing skill. It does. So. It's it's an incredible skill. So yeah. let's talk about the long snapper. So <laughs> this weekend, there was a great game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Bengals, I, uh, along with probably some other people, predicted that because they lost the Super Bowl last year, they would come in with a Super Bowl hangover. Basically, the loser of a Super Bowl often under-delivers the, t- the year afterwards. And of course, that's what happened. The Steelers were up big, double digits. Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback, threw four picks. But by the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow started coming back. And he drove all the way into the end zone for this touchdown that seemed like a game-winning touchdown. He throws to Jamar Chase. It is, um, I believe it was 20-14. to 14, So the touchdown made it 20-20. And all they needed was an extra point to win the game. Uh, I think you guys might you might have a sense. You might be able to guess what has what's happened next. Um, what happens next? So the Bengals also, by the way, they have one of the best kickers in the league, probably the second best, if not the best kicker in the league, who essentially got them to the help them get to the Super Bowl last year. So he comes out, extra point should be a guaranteed thing. Extra points, you hit them like 85 percent of the time. Almost always going to hit an extra point. Comes out, bam, misses. Game goes to overtime. Then in overtime, I won't go all into the details, even though it got pretty crazy towards the end. Bengals are set up to win the game. Kicker comes out. All he has to do is kick a field goal, win the game. Bam. Kick shanks way to the left. Like, he shanks it. It's nowhere near the goalpost. Why did all those kicks miss? Because earlier in the game, their long snapper, Clark Harris, now I know his name, got injured and they had no backup Mm. because no NFL team is a backup long snapper. Like that would be a huge waste of a roster spot. So they went to this guy, Mitchell Wilcox, who is this random tight end. And he, he was able to like do it, but he wasn't quite as precise as the long snapper. The timing was a little bit off. And, and with any NFL play, like timing has to be perfect, especially a kick kickers, like have this rhythm that they go through. And if, if you're even half a second off, 
throws them off completely. So because of Mitchell Wilcox, they lost the game. Steelers won. No long snapper. Cost them the game not once, but twice. But you know what? Who out there is going to appreciate the long snapper after this? Well, I'll tell you who. I am. I am. Yeah. Here's the and long I just want to say, oh, to the long snapper and to everyone out there, to those of you who are listening, to everyone out there whose job is essential but unknown and invisible and never appreciated. Thanks to you. Long snappers yeah. everywhere. The long snappers of the world. Unite. Wow. Long snappers of the world unite. Now I'm thinking of, I feel like, this has never been done, but now I think they should do, you know, the trick plays they always do in sports movies. There should be a trick play where the long snacker, the long snapper switches places with the quarterback and the uh-huh. quarterback snaps to the long snapper and he takes the ball <laughs> back behind the line and he turns around and then he long snaps it down the field to a receiver <laughs> for a touchdown. It feels like the end of like Little Giants or whatever that movie is. Because that's the only like, way he can like throw with joke. such precision is through his legs. <laughs> so two, two problems with that. First of all, the quarterback would not be capable of doing only that. Only two snap. problems. <laughs> yeah, only two. Second of all, when if he long snapped it down the field, uh, it would be so low that someone would just catch it. No one would see it coming. No it would go like un- between their <laughs> the legs. Between their Can you picture yeah. the camera like following the ball well, through also, everyone's legs? I don't know if you know this, but there's actually no rule. Also, a golden retriever would be there. There's no rule that there's a dog no can't play football. That's <laughs> what I was going to say, Maddie. There's great, no rule that a great minds, dog Jason, cannot play. Great minds think <laughs> it's alike. It's true. It's true. Anyway, ode to those of you out there with invisible but essential jobs. The long snappers and the golden receivers. Well, my one more thing is a TV show that was Jason's one more thing that now we've all watched. All three and of us. I want to talk about with some spoilers. So this is the rehearsal This is Nathan Fielder's HBO show, much talked about HBO show that we've all watched. And we're just going to talk about the whole thing. This is the end of the show. So if you want to, you know, bail, it's just going to be goodbyes after this. If you haven't watched the show and don't want to hear anything about it, though, it's kind of not that spoilable. So I don't know. But that's just just throwing that out there. (laughs) Yeah. So I watched this show. um, Emily and I did. We watched it kind of one episode per night, which I think is a good way to watch it. It would be kind of a more intense experience to watch it like to kind of marathon it i marathoned it so i can yeah we <laughs> yeah, did three I the first night and three were... the second night and i don't know that i recommend doing that Go right on. like disassociating <laughs> from your tv yeah. by the end of it um what a wild experience <laughs> that was i've never seen a tv show like it so this was jason's one more thing to really quickly explain it to anyone who hasn't seen it this guy nathan fielder who is the uh comedian behind nathan for you which is a show i didn't watch sort of similar vibe where he helps people in generally very weird and unhelpful ways and you're never quite sure if he's being serious or not mm-hmm. he has a little bit of like an andy kaufman kind of energy or like sasha baron cohen maybe. but it it's purports to be a reality show like nathan for you purports to be a reality yeah. show but you never really know how real it is and, and same here. with this show yeah so he, the idea is at least at first he's going to help people rehearse for things that they're nervous about so as jason explained in the first episode he's helping a guy rehearse to explain to his trivia team or his trivia friend, really, that he lied about having a master's degree. And so that then involves building a whole replica of the bar and hiring actors to play everybody. And then soon he's like reveals while he's in the meeting with the guy for the first time to talk about the rehearsal that he actually built a replica of that guy's apartment so that he could rehearse the meeting to make sure that it's all right. And the whole time you're watching him interact with this supposedly real person, the guy just seems off. Like his energy seems really heightened. Like he's an actor. What Emily said to me when we were watching it at first, he first started talking. She said, I watch a lot of reality TV. That dude is not a real person. Mm -hmm. And that's the feeling throughout this show. It then the episode two and onward, there's this whole thing with him and is her name Angela? Yes. With this woman who wants to practice having a baby and then he winds up raising the baby with her while he's trying to help other people rehearse and it just keeps going like she's come out and like done videos interviews and stuff and seems to be a real person that's the thing and that's what really threw me is I didn't look up anything about the show until we finished it and then I was looking and um, I saw our former colleague Gita Jackson wrote an article about her for Vice um, among many other people writing about who these people are whether they're real and they are all at least real people, which honestly surprised me. I was convinced 
that everyone was just totally fake and that the whole thing was fake. Because there's but so many perfect it, moments, like her mentioning Apocalypto. I mean, she's come such on. a maniac. Yeah, and like, oh, and that numerologist guy she's dating. There are so yeah. many people who feel like characters and not like people. There's a separate Gita article with that guy, and his quotes are incredible. <laughs> honestly, oh my god, he Robin, is he is wild. amazing. He was upset by how he was edited. <laughs> well, <which> I, <laughs> iconic, honestly. 10 out of 10 for that guy. That secret, it's just this, <laughs> it really has the feeling of, speaking of Curb Your Enthusiasm, of one of those shows where someone starts with someone who seems chill and normal, yes. and then over the course of an evening, it just like continually spirals into yeah, like- or like an like, I think you should leave sketch or something, where you're just like, yeah, what is yeah. happening right now? Uh-huh. And like, people are Seeing, revealing yeah. themselves in ways <laughs> that you couldn't possibly I can totally imagine. see Tim Robinson being like, oh, numbers over, oh, 66 over there, you know? <laughs> right, right. And then no. he's like smoking weed, and he's driving, and he's like, I'm fine to drive, it's no problem and you're like this is and he gets doesn't this have a license plate there are mattresses mattresses all over his back doesn't he say what he's like you don't have a license plate in your car and he's like you don't need a license plate yeah, you don't need a license plate to drive oh why do you think you need a license plate so I guess my big takeaway at the end is that I I can't figure out where I stand on this show and that's what I find so cool about it and so well what do you think about the kids though do you because I I feel like I that's where I think the kids are acting and I that's why I wasn't really that disturbed by the children part oh, of oh yeah I mean I think they, they're children actors because yeah. they are children actors but I just but mean I, guess I think I, the kid wasn't really calling Nathan Fielder daddy I just didn't oh, think that, that, that was real well so okay so that's that's the thing like that's kind of where I'm going is that I never come down in one place, and that's because I thought it was all actors. Then I learned that they're real people, but then I realized that it doesn't matter because how is it any more real that Angela acts that way or that that kid acts that way than mm-hmm. like the way a real person on The Bachelor acts or a real person right. on Survivor or some other reality show? Like everybody becomes some character version of themselves on one of these shows, and that's I think maybe one of the. You know, it's not an explicit point, but it's a point that the show kind of makes. Anyways, that was kind of where I wound up is that I kept thinking that I knew, okay, it is real. But I'm like, but it's not real. But it is. And I think that's the magic of the show is that it's just forever in the in-between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked it, though. I I liked yeah. it. We we hate watch The Bachelor in our house and The Bachelorette. Mm. We couldn't finish this current season because it's too terrible. But and that happens from time to time. We check in. We're like, are we still having fun or do we need to stop? I think that's a good way to engage with reality TV. Sure. And the rehearsal feels like it's really made for people who live in that zone. And the way that we talk about The Bachelor when we watch it is like Dina will often just refer to people as characters <laughs> rather than people because right. it's they're not. They kind of are. They like, are in they the sense that they're. Are- Edited to be a certain way. And the rehearsal is very much about that, too. And I liked that aspect of it is just the way that you can either rehearse so much with someone that it no longer matters what really happened. Like a lot of times on The Bachelor, they'll show them in like an approximation of the classroom where like the cute kindergarten teacher works, but it's actually a set and they just never tell you that. You know what I mean? Like that happens all the time on reality shows. And the rehearsal just mocks that by being like, okay, we're going to create a version of the apartment you live in and a version of the bar. And we're just going to quickly knock out the scene that way. And it doesn't, it, it tells a story and the story is the part that ends up mattering to you more than what is real and what is not real. Right. And it kind of, I mean, it's both that the editing presents people as being different versions of themselves, but they themselves also present different versions of themselves. And then, I mean, it does make me think about how we all present different versions of ourselves all the time. And it really does scale all the way out to that, which sounds silly, you know, and whatever kind of stonery when you put it that way. But it's true. But I liked that part of it. I liked it, though. I It's part of why I was kind of sad that the last three episodes just got really weird and, like, in a way, I didn't think that was that fun because I was so into the episode about the guy who, like, goes to find the treasure with the old man actor, and then at the end he's crying. And I don't think any of that was real, but I thought bails. it was such a good story that, uh, like, he bailed. Casually, but the fact that he bailed, though. Oh, he was casually <laughs> anticipating dropping, as well. I, just, just dropping wild. the J-bombs all over the well, place. Well, but Jason, that was more realistic to how he would talk to his brother, and he specified that. So yeah, I don't really know why like, you're taking issue what I with do. it. But, yeah, it but it felt like he... I mean, it was just a scenario where I was like, this is just them telling a story. And the best way to end that story is to have him bail on the show, if that makes sense. And it's like it's a good episode mm-hmm. of television, but I don't think anybody in it was real. 
Mm. And that's fine. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun that it leaves you wondering. It's fun that right. it leaves you with this debate over like who's real, who isn't. Does it right. matter? Like, Does it are matter? there ethical borders being broken? It would be unethical if it weren't real, but it, it or if it were or whatever. But who cares? I think the best encapsulation <laughs> of the entire series is like at the end when the production assistant is talking to um, who was it? Like the mom, mm-hmm. one of the moms. Yeah, it's just like, oh yeah, that guy's weird um and you're not sure you're not sure if it's like an actual production assistant someone being told to say that like an actor being pretending to be a production assistant like the fact that you're just left with that question i think is really what the series is all about don't they recreate that too when nathan fielder's like i want to pretend to be the mom at the very end Uh and the production uh assistant comes up to him and is like pointing at the the footage of the fake nathan fielder being like isn't he kind of weird i was just like i i can't with this show anymore that was around where yeah. I was like, I'm good on this. Something. And then the ending, <laughs> the ending where he's like, no, I'm your dad. Yeah, it's just he was like, I'm your dad. Oh, Crazy. I, yeah, I kind of hope he doesn't make any more of this specific show, but I'll watch whatever he does. Cause he then, is. He's, it got renewed for a second Oh, season. it did? Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, where then I'm sure it'll just be completely here? different. It'll just be something different. Like, I, I think it'll be completely new. Yeah, yeah. it'll just be it'll something It'll be the same different. concept of like recreating people's lives, but just totally different themes and one, right. people and characters mm. and stories and stuff. Yeah. And as season one showed that premise can mean anything so yeah, it, can, it will just mean anything the one actually if there was one thing that i found lacking in the show is that i wanted more of like the one-offs like the first me too one. Yeah. Like, i would yeah. have liked it if it, that actually had been a straight-up reality show but also uh-huh. still had the joke of nathan fielder repeatedly refracting the reflection of whatever was happening over and yeah. over exactly. i liked that i did enjoy though that he like took the bar with him out to oregon yes. because he had bought this bar and he had to keep using it so That's they incredible. keep doing scenes in that bar i, I did like that that could come incredible in. also alligator lounge by the way I've, i used to go there during college they it's like actually a real place yeah and they give you pizza like while you drink which is like an unusual <laughs> thing because a lot wow. of times bars just don't serve food and we always yeah. we always love that place it's it's uh it was on 14th street I don't know That's if it's funny. All the bars in Oregon serve food. It's like a thing. It's a law. So they all have food. It's nice. Well, nowadays, I mean, back when, when I was in college, thing, it wasn't quite like it was a little more separated from what I remember. Like a lot of bars just didn't have food. Hmm. Also, I think the pizza was free with drinks, and that was oh, I see, and that's what's unusual about it. Uh, If I remember correctly, I haven't been there since 2006, probably, but yeah. Well, now there's one out in Oregon too. So maybe <laughs> now there is <laughs> a slightly different name. It's called with a slightly different name and a different <laughs> sign. Oh my god. Okay. Well, we've gone long. We could talk about this show forever. It's really good. I really liked it. Um, so that's the rehearsal. It's on HBO, and that's our show. That's we did our it. Show. We made an episode of Triple Click. Look at us. Or were we just paid actors us. hired <laughs> to create an episode of Triple Click? It's true. I did when I rehearsed this earlier with <laughs> the actors who looked uh-huh. just like you. Uh-huh. It, it went a little bit differently, but I mm-hmm. was kind of ready. Yeah, oh I feel god. like I feel imagine? like the way the other actors said bye wasn't quite right though so I'm gonna nail it when we get to that in a second yeah the guy I hired to play Jason did a pretty good NFL story though it yeah. was impressive we went through a lot of versions. maybe you can just slot that in instead of whatever yeah, Jason yeah I buy it <laughs> <laughs> alright well I will see the two of you next week see ya next week bye Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.